0: The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning, church. How are we? Man, it's good. Some this half is good. You guys are quiet. That's fine. It's fine. We'll wake up in a little bit here. It is 10:20. So, um, so glad you're with us. If you are new around here, um, man, I'm I'm just so thankful that you would choose to join our family this morning. This is a family. We're not like a family. We are a family, um, and we're we're honored that you would come to our home today and I I hope that you feel at home I hope that you feel welcomed that you belong here um and you know week by week that you'll that bond will grow tighter and tighter. Um, i got a couple things to announce to you really quickly before we get into today's text. Um, number one, as you saw on your way in, uh, today is our community group leader meet and greet. Um, we take community really seriously around here, and that's the way that this big room gets smaller uh, is by us scattering into homes in smaller groups, in community groups. And so, We have 17 different community groups that will be meeting around the area uh, over the course of this next semester. On your way out, um, there's a little... Uh, card here that you'll, people will be handing you, and this has the list of all the group leader names and the and the location that they're meeting in, and then there are balloons that are numbered and they correspond with this. So if you're new here or if you've been around for a while but you have not gotten plugged into a community group, um, this is your chance to sort of speed date, meet the leaders, uh, and figure out time, location, all that stuff, what works for you, um, and we'll be getting started with the community group semester here pretty shortly, so in the next couple weeks. So um, we're hopeful that you'll just meet some people uh, and find a place to, to, you know, I know the it's a generic phrase, plug in to community, but I don't know what else to say, right? To get involved in the life of this congregation. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing, I got word this morning that—so um, we have partnerships in Tanzania, and um, uh, church planting partnerships, Compassionate International Partnerships, and I got word this morning that one of the churches that has been planted uh, through our church in Tanzania uh, was having a celebration for uh, a building that was constructed that they're moving into this morning, or I guess it's already happened, right? So, yeah, we praise God for that. God is doing so much in uh, Tanzania, uh, in Matwara and Masasi specifically, the southeastern part of that country, and we get to play a little little bit of a part in it. And um, I- I'm hopeful over the coming weeks and months we can tell you more about what God is up to there because it is absolutely incredible. Um, the stuff that you know that you see in the Scripture is like happening there, right? The apostolic movement of church planting—it's it's phenomenal. Um, third thing is this: in two weeks from today. I'll start a new series. Now, usually we preach through books of the Bible at a time. We just finished the book of Titus. Um, But in in two weeks, I'll start a series called Shifting Sands, Navigating Cultural Change. And I've been working on this series uh, on and off for the last two years. Um, It's more topical. Now, let me just preface. This is not meant to be a hot-button-issue sermon series, though we will not avoid any hard topics. My hope and and goal in this series is to help us understand— how do we as the people of God navigate through and hold fast to Jesus in the midst of this crazy world that we live in? So I, I pray that it'll be an encouragement to you. I hope that you will plan to be here. It's going to be about eight weeks long. And so we'll start in two weeks. That's September the 10th. Um, I pray that you'll come, that you'll make it a point to be here every single week during that series. And I also would ask you to be praying for people that you can invite, neighbors, friends, co-workers, okay, who may not believe the same things you believe, right? Who might be adamantly opposed to the things you believe, uh, who might be, have a different set of cultural values, invite them, right? This is going to be an important series in the life of our church, so I pray that you will be here for that. Okay, I think that's all three of the things that I have to say. But for the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to do a series, uh, uh, not a non-series, two sermons that sort of stand apart from each other. And today we're going to be in Psalm 32. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, go ahead and open to Psalm chapter 32. If if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can use one of those hardback ones in the pew there. It's going to be page 432. 432. As you're turning there, um, let's see how well you know your civics. Can you Finish this sentence for me. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are Life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I find that fascinating, right? That happiness, or at least its quest, is so essential to being American that we made it part of our founding documents. Now, you might or might not know this, but Thomas Jefferson, who is largely um, credited for writing most of the Declaration of Independence, um, borrowed or lifted that phrase, the pursuit of happiness, from the English philosopher John Locke. And um, Locke believed that the pursuit of happiness was actually essential to humanity itself, He even, um, in a a 1690 essay on human understanding, he said this, the necessity of pursuing true happiness is the foundation of all liberty. Now, Locke knew that humans are by nature joy seekers. And, And so... For a society to be created that is set up for human flourishing, it it must be that humans have the ability to seek their happiness. But he also distinguished, in later writings of of Locke, he distinguished between what he would call true happiness and imaginary happiness, or true pleasure and false pleasure, which would be defined by radical self-interest. So, things like excessive materialism, Hedonism, seeking popularity, superficial relationships, impulsive gratification, escapism, avoiding responsibility, chasing trends. Does any of that sound familiar? (laughs) Are what Locke would call false pleasures or imaginary happiness. Now, it is my argument that it is precisely our pursuit as people of imaginary happiness, false pleasures that that has kept us bound. So how can we really be free? How can we really be happy? Psalm 32 is in the Bible to help answer that question. Now, Psalm 32 is uh, in the superscription. You'll see it says a masculine of David. We don't exactly know what the word masculine means, But the root word has to do with um, contemplation or instruction. There are 13 psalms that are designated as masculines, And so there are multiple pauses in the text. The word selah, which is a a, a sacred pause. What I want to do, I'm going to just read the entire text. It's 11 verses. And I'm going to read it slowly so that we can absorb it. And we're going to make some observations on the entire thing. So join me. I'm going to read. You can follow along. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh Father, what a gift, what a joy to be together um, as a family, as the people of God, um, a people of your own possession. Pray, Holy Spirit, that in this moment, as we have your word open before us, that you would speak to us, that you'd speak through me, you know, Lord, that the effort um, that I have put into writing this sermon, and yet um, I'm a human, I am fallible, and um, and so I pray that you would take this attempt to communicate your word. And, and make it piercingly true and real to the hearts of the people in this room for your glory and for our joy. I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Okay. Um, So what I want to do, I don't have time to go through all 11 verses verse by verse, so what I want to do is I want to take the psalm kind of as a whole and just make some observations about it, Um, and I'll hit verses here and there along the way. But um, we'll start just at the very beginning here, and he says, blessed or blessed. I always thought that was interesting. We say blessed a lot, but we don't say like (laughs) stressed. I'm too blessed to be stressed. So blessed is the one. Whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. Um, The first thing I want to point out to you is the barrier to real happiness. The barrier to real happiness. He starts by saying blessed. This word can be translated as happy. Happy is the man, okay? It's the idea of being completely fulfilled. Um, I've got my life back, right? And who doesn't want that? Isn't that what all of us are after? And who, according to this text, are the people in this world who are really happy? The forgiven. The covered. So, this is really interesting. In order... According to this text, in order for us to find real and lasting happiness, we must be willing to admit two things. Number one, that we actually need forgiveness. And number two, that we can actually receive forgiveness. That is a tall order in this modern progressive society we live in, isn't it? Some would even say that religion is actually the barrier to happiness, right? Like all this archaic talk of sin and judgment and forgiveness is what keeps people bound in guilt and in shame. Maybe you believe that. I don't 100% disagree with you. But if that's you, would you oblige me for the next 27 minutes and 50 seconds and lean in to what the scripture is going to teach us here? there are three Hebrew words that are used to describe the condition of sin that we find ourselves in, that humanity finds ourselves in. And just a quick, simple definition of sin is choosing our ways over God's ways. That's sin, okay? Um, Choosing our way over God's way. Three words to describe it here in the text, okay? The first is transgression. Transgression. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Now, transgression has the idea of defiant self-assertion. Nobody tells me how to live my life. Um, one of the books that I'm reading for this culture series, uh, the author makes the, the really brilliant point at the very beginning, that one of the lies of modernity is that we belong to ourselves. That we are our own. And so therefore, we determine our identity. We determine our morality, what's right and wrong for us. We determine what is meaningful and valuable and what's worth living for and what isn't. Which on the one hand sounds exhilarating, right? It's all up to me. I get to determine who I am and what I stand for and all these things. And at the very same time, it can cause waves Of anxiety and depression and fear because it's all up to me. And we were never meant to carry that kind of weight. So transgression, I think we see that every single day in this world. Two, just the general word, sin. Sin means to go off the path or to fail to meet a standard. And some of you might be saying, well, this is the problem, get rid of the standard and we'll all be fine. And I would say, you don't actually believe that, do you? Here's how I know you don't believe that. Let's get, a, let's get rid of all the standards for restaurant quality and grading. <laughs> Instead of seeing an A and whatever the percentage is, it's just like, ah, eh, we just did whatever we thought would be best. Let's get rid of performance reviews at your job. And no matter how badly or how, how well you do, everybody gets paid exactly the same. You're going to love that. Let's get rid of building codes. The average home price, median home price, you can correct me, real estate agents, is over in this area. The median home price as of July 20, 2023 was over $500,000. And you say, hey, can I see the blueprints? And they go, oh, we don't have any we sketched it out on a napkin and Discord sort of eyeballed it <laughs> which is kind of how some houses around here are built to be honest with you <laughs> we all have standards you have standards of how life ought to be lived of how people ought to treat each other okay the problem is all of our standards are different but let's just say you get to the end of your life and god says you know what I'm kind, so here's what I'm going to do. We'll set aside my standards, and I'm only going to measure you against your standards. We're going to replay your life, and every time that you said that someone else ought to or should do something, we're going to measure you by that. How many of us pass? None! We can't even measure up to our own standards. Third, iniquity. Now, iniquity can be translated as crookedness or evil, but I think a more accurate description um, it can be translated as the guilt that comes from our sin. And this is really important. I actually, I realized this past week, the same word is used in Genesis chapter four after Cain kills Abel, right? So, you know, um, Adam and Eve have these two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel offers an acceptable sacrifice. Cain does not because he just gives whatever, but Abel gives the first and the best. Then Cain is jealous, and so he kills Abel. And God comes, and he judges Cain for his sin. And, And in Genesis 4, he says, the punishment, your punishment is too much for me to bear, but the word there is iniquity. And what if he read it as, the guilt of my sin is too much for me to bear? I mean, look what, look what David says in verse three. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Isn't that interesting? When I kept my mouth closed, my bones cried out. It's a silent scream. It's a silent scream. In other words, all of the pain, all of the anguish, all of the shame and the guilt that needs to come out through a cry, through a, a guttural scream to the Lord is suppressed and pushed down and stuffed away. And it's rotting us from the inside out. When I kept silent, when I hid, when I covered, my vitality shriveled up. So, so here, this may not be you specifically, but this is absolutely the world that we live in. Even though we have, we say we belong to ourselves, and to no one else, even though we have tried to eliminate all the standards by which people would measure us, we are still not free. And nobody's guilty anymore, but yet we all still feel this deep sense that deep down inside of us, there is something profoundly wrong. And the more that we try to silence it, the more that we try to press it down, the worse those feelings get. We are wasting away from the inside. This is one of the reasons why we emphasize groups, community groups, so much. Yes, they're artificial structures, right? But the point is that you get to know people and begin to trust people so that you can practice all the one another's of the New Testament to to each other when one of those is to confess our sins to one another, to get it out. So I hope that you'll take us up on that offer. Now, that is the barrier to real happiness, but I want you to see next the door to real happiness here in verses 5 and 6. Notice he said again in verse 1, blessed is the man whose sin is covered, but now here in verse 5 he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What is all this business about covering This is a direct reference back to Genesis chapter three. If you remember, God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, in his likeness and his image, he put them in the garden. They were naked and unashamed, which meant not only were they physically unclothed, but they had nothing to hide from each other. They were open, they were honest, they were vulnerable. That lasts about two pages. (laughs) Until they believed the lie of the enemy, that they could belong to themselves. What did the enemy say? You will be like God, right? Oh, we can be autonomous. We can be like God. We don't have to be under God's authority. We can be an authority to ourselves. And as soon as they believed that lie, sin entered the world. And with sin came guilt and shame and fear and self-focus. And what did they do as a result of their sin? Class? They covered. They covered. They sewed clothing for themselves out of fig leaves. And then what did they do? They hid from God. God came walking in the cool of the garden. He said, where are you? And it's not like God didn't know where they were. They hid, they covered. It's it's almost as if, and I think your heart would tell you that this is true. The moment that we choose our way over God's way, it's almost instinctual that we begin to cover and hide. And here's the irony of the human condition. We desperately want to be known and accepted and loved, but at the very same time, we want to control and protect what others see of us. That's the reason you got that little sticker over the webcam on your laptop, right? Why do we... On the one hand, want to be known, and at the, on the other hand, want to protect what others see of us, what image of us they receive, because we know, we believe deep down, that if anyone knew the real us, they would run. Because we are almost never the person that we say we are, almost never the person that we want to be. So, what do we do? We build walls. We build walls, we put up fronts to control the narrative, to hide, to protect ourselves from being exposed. Here's what it looks like. We delete text messages or whole threads. We clear our browser history. We hide the receipts or pay in cash so it doesn't show up on the credit card statement. We keep friends at an arm's length only engaged in superficial conversation. We deflect with humor. We gossip about other people to hide the shame of our own lives. We run at a frantic pace, just keeping ourselves busy so we never have to sit with our our own thoughts. We obsess over things like beauty, to try to hide the ugliness that we feel. We obsess over success and achievement to cover this gnawing feeling that we will never be enough. I wonder if that's you today. Others of us build walls to shield us from taking responsibility for our own sins. And we'll say things like, look, I know it's not good, but it's not my fault. You don't know my mom. You don't know my family dynamics. You don't know the trauma that I experienced. And I don't want to make light of those things. Your family of origin, the nurture you received or didn't, the trauma that you experienced absolutely affects our lives. But those things are not what causes our sin. Do you know what causes your sin? You do. Do you know what causes my sin? You do. No, I was kidding. I do. <laughs> I had to break the moment. Okay, it was getting too serious in here. <laughs> so we build walls to protect ourselves, but instead of feeling safe, we end up feeling trapped. We've built the wall so high, and by the way, we forgot to put a door in, and so now we've enclosed ourselves in our own prison. And when you're in a room with no doors, the only way out is up, which is why in verse 5, David finally says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I confessed my sin. Confession is the door. It's like like an escape hatch. (laughs) Confession is the escape hatch. He says, I confess my sin to you, which means at least three things. I'm acknowledging I am not my own. I belong to God. Secondly, my sin is primarily against God. Yes, it's against other people and affects them. We talked about that in Psalm 51 a few weeks back when we were looking in the David series. But my sin is primarily against God because God is the one who has the plumb line. God is the one with the standard. And we have to acknowledge that we have failed to meet God's standard. We, don't already know, we know that we don't already meet our own standard. Neither do we meet God's standard. And so we acknowledge, my, I am not my own. My sin is primarily against you, which also means only you, God, can do something about it. And what happens, church? What happens when we stop hiding and we stop blame shifting and we stop trying to protect ourselves and we start getting honest and we start owning up and we start taking responsibility for ourselves and for our sin? It's right here in the text. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? And you forgave me. <laughs> That's good news. He forgives us. The, the Hebrew word for forgive here literally means to lift up. So I have surrounded myself with this wall that I've built. It's become a prison. The only way up is out. I mean, it's the only way out is up. So I confess my sin and the Lord forgives me and he lifts me out. He lifts me out of that prison and we experience all the blessings of verses one and two. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose, whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, now very, hear me very clearly. It is not our confession that deserves these blessings. God forgives us because of who he is. God's burden-lifting, shame-covering, rebellion-forgiving nature. It's just who God is. Okay? I don't have time to go there, but if you just jot down Exodus 34, verse 6, this is when God comes to Moses and he reveals his personal, infinite, or intimate covenant name, Yahweh. I am the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. Remember this? Okay? Here's what he says. I forgive, trespass, and sin and iniquity. All three. Now, David was absolutely confident in who God was. He just didn't know how God was going to carry that out, because he knows that God is just. And if God is just, he can't just say, ah, it's okay, I forgive you, and sweep it under his, you know, eternal rug. There's got to be a payment. There's got to be justice in order for forgiveness to come. And David knew that God was forgiving, but he didn't know how he would forgive. But you and I know. We can look back, can't we? On the gospel and know that we are forgiven. Let me turn your attention. If you want to turn there, you can. Otherwise, just listen as I read 1 John chapter 1. Starting in verse 5, listen to what 1 John chapter 1 says. This is the message we have heard from him, from God, from Christ, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God cannot accept our darkness, our sin, if he is light. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is fa- yeah, Amen, right? He is faithful and he is just. Now, how can God be just and yet forgive us? Of course, it's the blood of Jesus. Jesus came onto the scene. He is the only human. He is fully divine, but fully human, and he's the only man who has ever lived on this earth with no sin, no iniquity, no transgression. And why did he do that? As your substitute to live the life you could never live. And Jesus took all of our guilt and our shame and our iniquity and our transgression and our sin upon himself at the cross. And as the nails went into his wrists and his feet and as they lifted him up onto the cross and he was mocked and derided and exposed, he was stripped, naked, mocked, right? Beaten, spit upon, all of those things. The worst thing that you fear is being exposed. And Jesus was exposed for you so that your sin would be covered by his righteousness. Isaiah 53 puts it very bluntly. The Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. And by his stripes, we are healed. You and I... Can confess our sins because Jesus died for our sins. But verse six reminds us, let everyone who is godly offer prayer at a time when you may be found. Do not delay in confessing. The window is open, but do not delay in your confessing. Find him at a time when he may be found and the godly are those who confess. It's not that the godly confess, it's that those who confess are godly. So the door to real happiness is confession. Now, you guys still with me? Okay, last thing I want you to see here is I had to keep the analogy going, the key to real happiness. I know it's cheesy, okay? You try coming up with sermon points. <laughs> Look at verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then God speaks in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But don't be stubborn like a horse or a mule that has to be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So here's my summary statement of this psalm The key to real happiness is when we choose to hide in God rather than hiding from God. He says, I confessed. I did not cover, and then you forgave me, and you covered me. And he says, you are my hiding place. My hiding place, that means you you preserve me, you protect me. And then he says here, you surround me with shouts. Another translation of that is songs of deliverance. Okay, The same language is used back in the the book of Zephaniah. If you know Zephaniah chapter 3, when, when God says through the prophet Zephaniah, I, I will sing over my people with, I will exult over you with songs of love and adoration. And, 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 and we, we read that line. This is God speaking that I will sing over my people. And it makes us, if we're honest, a little uncomfortable. How many of you, it's my show of hands, kind of hate it when people sing happy birthday to you? A few of us, okay. Especially like at the office or whatever. That gets you that sheet cake from Ingalls and sing happy birthday. (laughs) Why is it hard? Why, Why do we hate that? Because it's hard for us to believe that those people really care about us. And here is the God of the universe who says, You belong to me. And I delight in you so much that I will sing songs of joy over your life. That's how he sees you. In Christ, that's how he sees you. He loves you. He delights in you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. (laughs) So what should our response be to that? Receive it. Take refuge in it. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. And now here's this promise, God speaking in verse eight, I will instruct you, I will teach you, I will counsel you, my eye will be upon you. That is not his eye upon us, like he's just waiting for us to mess up, right? He's like looking out and like, aha, I knew I shouldn't have given you grace. It's not that at all. It's a loving parent who's keeping an eye out for their child that they love so much. It's getting to the point when you realize the very things that we have tried so hard to hide and cover and avoid and suppress are the things that God himself wants to forgive and heal and deliver from and protect you from. And if if we will hide ourselves in him, if we will not hide from him, but hide in him. And if we will listen to his wise counsel and if we will trust in him and trust in his love for us, we will find happiness and sustaining joy. That's how the psalm ends, that there's joy to be had. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And ironically, the more that you and I, the the more loved and accepted by God that we feel, the easier it becomes to not only see but to confess our sin and our failure. And as we experience more and more and more of his grace to us, all of those walls that we built up come tumbling down by his grace. Church, God is here right now. He is nearer to you than you even know. And he is calling you to confession, not to shame you, not to put you down, not to add more weight to your life, but to free you, to lift you, to rescue you, from the burden of performing and pretending and hiding. He has life for you and life abundant. And because Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, we can have assurance that no sinner, whoever comes to God in true and honest confession will be refused. There is only healing and grace and acceptance and forgiveness for us. So what on earth are we waiting for? Now, that's the end of my sermon. Here's what I want to do. I I do have three questions for you, but instead of reading them all one by one, I just want to leave them on the screen for you. And this is going to be a prompt for you during communion, okay? But before we get to the three questions, I want to read you something from the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism is from the 1500s, and it's just a, a, a series of questions and answers um, from the Lutheran tradition. But I think it's really important. It says this, Who are to come to the table of the Lord? This is what we're doing next in our services, is response through communion. Listen to what it says. Those who are truly displeased with themselves... Because of their sin. And yet trust that these sins are forgiven them. And that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ. And who also desire more and more to be strengthened in their faith and to amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. So here's what's before us. As we come to the communion tables, um, confession is not a groveling self-flagellation of how wicked and bad we are. It is simply us choosing not to hide anymore from God and running back to our Father who loves us so much that he sent Christ to die for us. And so as these questions are up on the screen, you can... You can just sit there with, with them and contemplate them. And when you're ready, you can come to these tables. These tables are a reminder of what Jesus has done for us his body broken to bring healing and wholeness to our lives, his blood spilled to cover our sin, to wash us clean from unrighteousness, and to cover us in the righteousness of Jesus. And so, we come in confession, yes, but we come in joy and in thanksgiving that God did something about it. We come with gratitude that he loved us so much that he gave his only son for us. And so we can come to these tables, taking a piece of the bread, dipping into the juice or the wine, and it's just a little symbol. It's, it's for you to smell and taste and take into your body as a way of your senses remembering this beautiful truth of the gospel. So, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna give us a moment or two of silence just to quietly reflect. These questions will stay up on the screen during our entire communion time. Um, And so you can just sit with them. And then um, when I give the signal from the back row, if you're ready, you can start coming forward and then we'll go row by row. If you're not ready, just stay where you are until you are ready. But there has to be an order to this, right? So we're gonna start in the back and make our way to the front. If you're not a Christian, please don't take communion today. If you are a Christian and you just don't feel like receiving communion, that's okay. Um, But this meal is here for you as a reminder of the grace of Jesus. So let me pray, and then um, we'll be silent for a minute or two, and then we'll move into our time of response. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the beauty of Psalm 32. And how even though it was written thousands and thousands of years ago, it speaks so poignantly to the issues of our day and the issues in our hearts. So I pray today that we would be a people who are resolved to walk in the light. I don't assume that there are any deep, dark, hidden secrets in our lives, but if there are, that, they would, that we would confess and not be found out. Pray if there are issues of shame or guilt that we are holding on to, that we would release them into your hands today. I pray that those besetting sins that Mark mentioned would be handed over to you and that you, by your grace, would change us as we depend on you moment by moment. But Lord, let us rejoice in our confession. David says, I confessed and you forgave me, and I could, I was blessed. I was happy, and I can sing songs of joy because I know that I am forgiven. I am covered. You hold no iniquity against me. May we leave this place rejoicing that we are free. We are no longer bound. And if there be any in this room this morning who have not trusted in the mercy of Jesus, I pray this morning that today would be the day of salvation, that we would finally let go of trying to manage our lives and that you would rescue us from the prison of ourselves. So Lord, be glorified as we respond to you now in prayer, in repentance, in faith, in confession, in communion, in singing, and in giving. We give you all the praise and glory in the beautiful name of Jesus. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be silent before the Lord.